your right to educate your child along the lines of what your beliefs are is critical to the human experience. It's critical to me as a parent. I want to raise my children to be very smart and well-educated and mentally well-trained, but I also want to have formation of the heart. And that's something, you know, we've got a separation of church and state in the country as well we should. There is no official Church of America. Thankfully, the founders saw fit not to doing that. But I'm really concerned about the character formation in my child. That's Ambassador Sam Brownback, one of our country's greatest defenders of religious freedom today. He's our guest on this episode of Religious Freedom Matters, the school choice season. I'm your host, Andrea Pachati Bayer, director of the Conscience Project. Before Ambassador Brownback joins us, Joan, let's take a few minutes to talk about the themes we've touched upon so far in the season. What do you think have been some of the key takeaways from our guests so far? I think we had Bishop Daly, who is a religious leader, Catholic bishop, who has made education a priority of his whole ministry, and talking about Catholic identity the truth of the faith and ways that Catholic schools can be more Catholic and at the same time be there for the next generation. That's the most important piece for us, of course. We also have the wonderful Sean Peterson talking about school choice, the strategies for school choice, how to help all our parents think smarter about this, how to help activists think smarter about this, and school officials. like How do we bring this together? How do we advance what we know about the value of Catholic education, about the value of school choice, and try to meet parents where they are, what they need, and really educate their children beautifully. We have Lucia Lusando, who's talking about that really important piece that is often missing, the Hispanic child, the Hispanic family that may be newcomers to America, like so many immigrant families before them. But unlike, I'm an Irish Catholic, unlike the, the schools that were available to my family when they arrived, which were less expensive, more accessible, that whole piece has been a tougher sell. So we also have issues of language and people being able to navigate the system and feel welcomed by the system. I really liked some of her insights into how we can make our schools more accessible. And then we have Senator or rather Ambassador Brownback, and he's a He's not only a religious freedom activist, he's also a lawmaker. So that's a key piece here. He's helping us understand from the inside how lawmakers see this issue, but also the impediments like teachers unions, which is just so sad because we all respect teachers so much. How did it get to the point where this is now this movement of teachers, unionized teachers have become an impediment? to great education. I'm sure many individuals within those unions don't see it that way. So we've got those multiple perspectives, and I hope that really makes a difference for our audience. Well, and I'm really looking forward to this episode with Ambassador Brownback because I think we need to see the connection. We need to connect the dots between school choice, which has not been tied so much to the cause of religious freedom until we've seen it in the last few years as public schools have become kind of promoters of ideologies that are contrary to the faith, people of faith or people ab- opposed to these ideologies are looking for something different. And our religious schools are providing that safe haven. So having the chance to 
talk with him, with Ambassador Brownback, to connect those dots between these two really important movements and see how they're connected is really going to make this episode what I think one of our best for religious Mm -hmm. freedom matters. I agree with you. I think the whole pandemic has created a new opportunity for school choice. I hope Ambassador Brownback has his priorities at this moment, so he's not involved in legislation. But I think he will give us insights. What we're seeing is a shift that involves new alliances. We have school choice, the traditional group, religious parents looking for another option. And we also have academics. And we have now the sense that when these schools don't play their proper traditional role of inculcating basic academics, basic values of citizenship, people need to find other choices. So we have a larger group of Americans coming together, and it's very exciting. Joining us now is a special guest that will help us connect advocacy for school choice with our great American tradition of religious freedom. Sam Brownback most recently served as Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom. Prior to that important post in the Trump administration, he was governor of Kansas from 2011 to 2018, and for many years represented at home state in the Senate and the House of Representatives. Today, Ambassador Brownback is chairman and founder of the National Committee for Religious Freedom, an organization committed to protecting religious liberty here at home. Welcome to Religious Freedom Matters, Ambassador Brownback. Oh, it's a pleasure to join you, Andrea. Thank you for uh, having me on the program. Welcome. Happy to be uh, be on, and uh, and I really appreciate people getting out and talking to others about what we need to be talking about instead of what we're entertained by. I'm all for entertainment, but you know sometimes we really need to get down to brass tacks here and <laughs> one of these things. Well, that leads us to the perfect first question that Joan wanted to ask you, and it's about what you're currently doing. Joan, why don't you take it away? Thanks so much again for being with us today. We're really excited about this conversation. In mid-January, you launched the National Committee for Religious Freedom. Tell us about why you think a focus on religious freedom here at home is needed today and your vision for that committee. You know, I've spent much of my professional career working on international religious freedom issues. So looking at overseas problems, and there are plenty of them, uh, most of the world lives in a religiously oppressed environment. The problem was when coming back here and, and starting to look around in the United States and the things going on here, we're losing ground on religious freedom and we're losing it fast. And that's bad for us, but it's terrible for the world because the the rest of the world follows what the United States does on human rights issues very closely. And they watch what we do. They hear what we say, but they really watch what we do. So as we lose ground on religious freedom here, it just magnifies around the world. And uh, and that's something I, I thought we've just got to stop that trend. So I went to a number of different religious leaders from all major faiths in the United States and said, we need to band together to stand for the free exercise clause in the Constitution. This is your First Amendment right. You have a right to freely exercise your your faith in this country and to start uh, fighting for it. And we've got... Uh, Christian leaders, Muslim leaders, Jewish leaders, Hindu leaders, all on board with this. And we'll have others coming in to help stand for this essential human right. 
I can't agree with you more. For over a decade, I lived in the South American country of Colombia. And I always said, Americans are fantastic at exporting things, especially ideas. And we know um, we're able to export the idea of democracy. And part of what we've done is exporting the idea of religious freedom. Unfortunately, we're great at exporting bad ideas as well. And, and some of the bad ideas have been percolating and really coming to the forefront in our education system. This, these new ideologies that run counter to the faith, lots of parents are waking up. And we, we often talk about school choice in the context of academics, giving people and parents different choices, academics. But I think that we're starting to see there's something more to this notion of school choice What's the nexus that you see between school choice and our religious freedom as Americans? Well, it's core. It's core. I mean, your right to educate your child along the lines of what your beliefs are is, is critical to the human experience. It's critical to me as a parent. I want to raise my children to be very smart and well-educated and mentally well-trained, but I also want to have formation of the heart. And that's something, you know, we've got a separation of church and state in the country as well. We should. There is no official church of America. Thankfully, the founders saw fit not to doing that. But I'm really concerned about the character formation in my child. And if the public school system isn't going to address that issue in a way that I, as a parent, think is important, then I should have the choice and the option to get my child out of that system. And think about it for just a minute. We do that on higher education. If you want to send your child to a Catholic, a Protestant college, the student loan program, federal student loan program will follow you there. There's support and subsidies from the federal government. But if you want to do it on K-12, most parties say, no, 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 can't do that. And you're going, well, why? what's the difference here? Why can't I do that? This is my choice. I think this choice issue is really core, particularly the season that we're in now where there's just so much assault on kind of basic norms of of, uh, faith. And parents are, I think, rightfully alarmed about this and seeking to be able to exercise their choice in this freely, peacefully, but to exercise that. You saw a lot of changes in education policy at the federal level during your many years in the Senate and the House. So how open or hostile is the federal government to the cause of school choice today, do you think? And they're hostile. This this is a way you control the development of the next generation is through the education system. What's taught in the schools in one generation will be seen and practiced in the culture throughout that generation and and on. So they don't want school choice. They want people to fit within the monopoly system. And this is so counter to our open, democratic, capitalistic society where we believe in people having choices and opportunities and and the beauty of competition of ideas so that, well, if, if you've got a better school idea, more people go there. Great. That's fantastic. That's what's made the country great. It's when we get into monopoly situations that we generally have trouble. And that's what we've gotten into, for the most part, in our K-12 public education system. And we need to, we need to break out of that. People need to have these choices and, and to be able to exercise them. 
You know, I like the fact that you talk about kind of that competitive spirit that Americans have. And one of our guests earlier in, in the season, Sean Peterson at Catholic Education Partners, talked about when there is competition through school choice, all educational kind of platforms and opportunities are improved. So it's not like we're we're advocating for public schools to continue to um, kind of head to their demise. We really want all of the educational opportunities for kids to be improved. And I think as we're fighting some of the indoctrination at the public school level, there's only so much parents can do. And having options to leave that is important. But I wanted to pick up something uh, that you mentioned before, and and I'm facing this as a parent. I've got a a number of kids at home. My fourth at home is a is a high school senior, and where he got into his dream college, and we're filing our financial aid application, um, the FAFSA form that was created by the Department of Education, and I'm looking at it, and it doesn't account for the thousands of dollars that I'm paying annually for private school education for his siblings. And I'm wondering, you know, it like they seem to think that I've got money that's not readily available. I'm wondering, you mentioned that the federal government's hostile. What is your thought on this? And what can we do? Because it almost seems to penalize families that choose alternatives, especially religious schools for their children outside of the public school uh, system. What can we do? What do you think? Is there hope? If I were you, I would be taking that uh, if they'd be interested to uh, uh, my congressmen or senators and saying, you know, look, why should I be penalized for this? I'm actually doing a great public good here that I'm privately funding my children's uh, education. And so it leads to less crowding in a public school system and I'm funding it. I, I should be. I should be honored for doing something like that instead of penalized. But and if you can't, if your own aren't interested in it, I would look other places where you would have representatives that would be interested in it because that that's the sort of thing that really shouldn't happen. But it is also the sort of thing that just really kind of seeps into government in a lot of places, and people don't they don't intentionally want to penalize you, but it just gets kind of caught up in it, or sometimes they do, and it just has slipped through the system, but that's something that should be highlighted. You know, I do think probably, and there's probably some well-intentioned perspective that means, oh, somebody has private education, then they can afford X, Y, and Z, when you could actually be in a very poor performing public school district, setting even aside your religious freedom issues, and feel you don't have any choice but to send them to a parochial school or, or any other school. So the idea that people would be automatically in sort of a more elite segments of society is <laughs> certainly not necessarily the case. And we've seen that with the pandemic, with people shifting into private education in low performing schools or, or shuttered schools. During your time as governor in Kansas, you created a tax credit for donations to a state scholarship program for low income students to attend private schools. This sort of school choice initiative makes a lot of sense, but did you face pushback and how successful has the program actually been? We did face pushback. Uh, For some reason, the public education system just sees any kind of attack on them for as far as if you're trying to provide school choice, homeschooling options, different things as you're assaulting them and you're hurting them when you know, we'd look at it and say, well, this is going to help you with smaller class sizes. 
this is going to help you have different options, but they see it as an attack. So yes, we did get pushback, but I, I was very pleased, just looked up the numbers today of what's happened. We've had uh, $12.5 million in scholarships go through that, 3,200 students uh, that have benefited from that program. And here's the big one. The program doubled last year. What happened is I think it just kind of bumped along and then the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and people were said, I'm done here. I've got to get my child in a actual school. This Zoom stuff's not working for us. And I, I was just, astounded. we got 112 schools participating in it. So it, it was one of those things that, you know, like we were talking a little bit earlier, you, you really try to honor the people that are willing to really help the system because you're paying your taxes. That's going for the public education system. You're not using the system. And so you're subsidizing somebody else's public education. But here's a way that you can get a little help and support yourself. These sort of programs need to grow. You know, it's so exciting because basically the pandemic is becoming this Petri dish, isn't it, to push forward school choice options where people just have a hard time changing patterns and thinking differently. And now that's really happening. That's a great observation. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit. Uh, you kind of get in your, your routine and you kind of keep bumping along. It's not too bad. And then something comes along like the pandemic that really hammers your habit and you're going, well, I got to find a different, different way here. And, and I think this is, this is one of the impacts of it. You know, it's kind of the omnia and bonum for all, all of the families in America and, and across the world right now, you know, everything is for the good. What, what can we take from this really difficult time in, in our history and how can we convert it into something that's going to be better? I, I do think I've been impressed and um, so pleased that many parents are waking up to their role as primary educators and they're not really seeing this as just something they're contracting out, whether it's to the public schools or even to the private schools. If they have their kids enrolled there, they're getting more engaged as they should. And we find that it really builds a lot of unity within the family. I wanted to pick up on on that great program that you were a part of starting in Kansas. It reminds me of a similar program out in Montana. It was much more modest. It was just a state tax credit of up to $150 if you made a donation to a scholarship fund for students, low-income students, to be able to attend private schools. And because of the state's Blaine Amendment, which was you know, out in the late 1800s, the tax department out in Montana said, well, it couldn't go to religious schools. Fast forward several years through through the judicial system, and the Supreme Court a couple of years ago said, you know, we're just not going to have that. Treating religious schools different from secular private schools is a violation of that First Amendment free exercise right. And it was that important Espinosa versus Department of Revenue of Montana. Do you think that other states, other governors, other legislatures get the understanding of treating religious schools the same as private secular schools when they're looking at school choice initiatives? Or do you still think that there's this notion of we don't want to benefit church-run schools? Oh, yeah, I I think there's a number of factors at play here, but not the least of which is just the raw politics of it uh, anymore. I just, I think, 
unfortunately, the um, the teachers union is so in um, partnership with the Democrat Party. I think last Democrat convention, over half the delegates were school teachers to the National Democrat Convention, and they this monopoly system. And you're going, you know, I, I want a good, I want a great education system for our children. And I just, you know, look, higher education, we've got the best in the world. K-12, we're middle to lower third of industrialized countries. How did we figure the one out so well and not the other? And I look at it and say, that's competition. You got, I don't know how many schools were competing for our five kids when they came out of high school to go to them, but we got a lot of interest. And K-12, it's you go here. This is where you will be. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the way we do well. And, and that's why I, I, there's a number of factors, but I'm, unfortunately, I think it's just getting more and more down just to the raw politics of it anymore. You know, I wanted to talk a little bit. You, um, there's some great news that we heard recently in your family. You've got uh, an eighth grandchild that yeah. just came. Congratulations. Thank you. We are ecstatic. It's it's very interesting. Oftentimes, our involvement with school issues is as parents, but grandparents have an important role to play in this as well. Both, you know, we've got the time if our if grand, I don't have any grandkids yet, but if, if grandchildren live close to their grandparents, they're oftentimes a very big part of their school day. And I know that that it's a wonderful experience to be able to pass on learning and, and sharing what advice and what experience have you had as a grandparent in advocating for education for your grandkids? And what role do you think that you know today's grandparents in America have? What can, what kind of advice and charge can you give to them? Well, I saw a survey a number of years ago, but I think it's accurate. Uh, half of the values of a child come from their grandparents. Their values. So this is their character formation and their beliefs. And you're just going, wow, that is an important piece of who that that child is. And so you want to really be responsible with that, uh, that burden, that that uh, that trusteeship you've got in the formation of that child. And then secondly, I think really, you know, a lot of times the grandparents are the ones that are in the decision making roles, whether it's in government or school boards or this or that, because they've moved through a lot of their career and now they're investing uh, in things like that. Man, we need to be committed to improving this system and, and not not just kind of letting good enough be okay that no i want the best system uh, that we can possibly get out here and so i think really grandparents advocating you know this is a sidebar but it, it's on point the virginia governor's race this year was a big governor's race uh, education was a central issue in this and what ended up happening is people finally got mad enough about what their kids were being taught in their school and their lack of ability to impact it or even the governor, the, the one of the governor, gubernatorial candidates, Democrat candidates, saying you don't, you shouldn't be involved in this, which was just mind-boggling to me. The first call I had the next day was from a Virginian who I knew, who was the the uh, imam for a major mosque in Northern Virginia, and he was saying to me, "I am so happy the Republican won." 
And I'm kind of going, oh, well, tell me why. Said, My kids, they were coming home from school and telling me all these crazy moral issues that are being taught to them. And this was particularly for him, it was on gender ideology issues. And he says, I, we don't believe that in our family. And we don't want our kids to be taught. I want them to be taught an education on educational issues. I don't want them being taught all these ideologies. And I, I just I just thought, you know, people are finally rising up and they're just, they're tired of it. They don't want it anymore. And it's, it's really time for the system to embrace that change and give really full school choice to all K-12 parents across the country. Uh, that, that really should happen. I couldn't agree more with you. I, I actually live in Virginia and that stepping on the rake moment from who everyone expected to be win in a landslide, the Democratic candidate. And in Northern Virginia, where I live, which is typically predominantly Democrat stronghold, there was a big shift and people said the issue of parental rights isn't a Democrat or a Republican issue. It's a nonpartisan issue. And I think they're starting to see school choices that as well. It's it's going to take a while because we've been in our camps for so long. But I think for the, the well-being of our country, for our next generation, and for continuing to be a leader for the rest of the world, we really need to focus on giving families more options. And while we work on helping heal our public school system, We've got to have safe places for our children to go. So I really want to thank you again, Ambassador Brownbeck. It's, um, you're just an incredibly wonderful voice, an inspiring voice. I now I'm thinking I need to go from filing my appeal to the financial aid package to then touching base with my senators and congressmen. And, and I really would encourage all of our listeners, look in, and find out what's going on in your communities and find out what's going on in your state and know that the, the power is within you. We have a beautiful system of representative democracy, and we're, our needs are only going to be heard if we voice them. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that statement. And it's generally finally when the public gets tuned in on something and decides, I'm, I'm just done with this. Things actually happen and change. And this pandemic can be used for a good uh, piece, particularly on the education system, because there's been so much angst and, and uh, problems with it. Glad to join you. Thank you. To learn more about the work of Ambassador Brownback and the National Committee on Religious Freedom, check out their website at thencrf.org. There you can take the pledge to defend religious freedom for all Americans and all of America's religious communities. And don't forget, you can check out all of our Religious Freedom Matters podcast episodes at ncregister.com and the website of The Conscience Project at conscience-project.org.